0: the naesp principal podcast is sponsored by the national association of elementary school principals supporting our nation's leaders from preschool through eighth grade whether you're looking to develop your professional learning network extra liability coverage at a fraction of the cost or you want to level up your professional development naesp has you covered
1: hello principals and welcome to the naesp principal podcast Uh, My name is Rachel George. I am an elementary principal in Oregon, and I'm also an NAESP fellow.
0: And my name is Adam. Welcome. I'm an elementary principal in California and a fellow, along with Rachel, in the NAESP Innovation Center. I feel like I have to say that NAESP so slow because it's so, it's so many letters. I don't know if you ever feel like that, Rachel.
1: <laughs> I think I just slur them together, but you did yeah. a great job announcing it. I'm <laughs> impressed. <laughs> So Adam and I, we're just really, really excited today to bring to you guys the NAESP podcast. We're going to talk about real ideas with some amazing principles to really help make your leadership stronger and more innovative. And today is such a timely topic.
0: Yeah. And this is our third episode so far. I feel like it's gone by so fast. The idea came about and we're already on the third episode and today we're going to talk about assessment and testing. And maybe something about it being springtime, President Biden's statement about how we will be testing this year and when I saw that announcement, I saw Twitter and everybody going why why what, what all these different things and uh, you know it's going to be a unique unique situation for people. so Rachel and I wanted to talk about it and we also have an awesome guest. Coming on the show later on to uh, to give their input. So, what's your just kind of like what's your overall thought, Rach, about testing and assessment either right now because we're still in this pandemic and everything else, or just uh, or just in general?
1: No, that's a great question. And for full transparency, I've grown a lot in this category over the last probably three years, most of that consolidated to the last year and a half. Um, So I have been a big testing advocate. Um, We take pride in our assessment scores. We take pride in growing kids. um, And that's the measure right or wrong that like our state in Oregon chooses to use. And we've rocked it, you know, we've had some dramatic school turnarounds that are based on these scores. But I've also had some great punches in the face by staff over the years that have really given me pause you know, Rachel, do we really need these pieces of data? Rachel, what, what is different about what the state assessment score gives us compared to what I know in my classroom? Rachel, why do we need to assess so often, even internally to make sure we're on track? And I think that that really rings true right now. And I think, especially when you look at early grades, it's even more of a stronger argument. It's just really, really amazing. Um, And so since the pandemic started, it it's given me a, a lot of reflection time, right? Like we're home a little bit more. Education has shifted. And I've actually had a lot of follow-up conversations with the staff that have given me some great things to think about regarding assessment. And I'm rethinking it. I'm You know, at this point in time, I don't believe it's something that we need. I don't believe it's something that it's gonna give us anything different than we don't have already. We know where our students are at. We know which ones are engaged or which ones aren't. And I'm concerned about the time. Um, Time was a concern when we were in a face-to-face situation pre-pandemic, but something that I have learned in the last year personally and professionally is that you can't take time for granted. And I'm really concerned about the impact that assessments do have as we move forward. What are your thoughts?
0: Yeah, yes, 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 yes. So many, so many thoughts. And I can remember my when i was a student teacher and the master teacher which is still a funny way to refer to people but my master teacher would give uh, a test or a writing assignment and he wouldn't he wouldn't give back give them back for like three or four weeks and i remember talking about it with him and i would say haven't the kids like forgotten about that like what are you doing with that with that information what are they doing with it? They've probably forgotten about it. And yes, assessment is important. Yes, data is important. Yes, testing is important. But I think about the time that it takes. And then the timely factor, These our students take a test in March, April, May, whatever the, the cycle is for, for the state test. And then when do they get the results? When do the teachers and the leaders get the results? It, you know, like what it's not even for the students, it's for the adults. And what are we really doing with it? Are we really changing our practice? And I think everybody's experience is based on their experience. So I know when I was a teacher, my principal, we never really even talked about our assessment results, we would kind of go over them from like a 100,000 foot level. and, And that was it. And I appreciated that. Because as a team, when I was a teacher, my my colleagues and I, we would talk about our, our weekly assessments and we would talk about students and what we needed to do and targeted instruction and targeted homework and, and groups and all of those things based on our daily weekly assessments, conversations, observations of our students of our kids based on assessments or also I think more importantly based on projects that we would have our kids do, because I think a project Actually, can show what kids know so much more. And here, here's an example. So in California, we have um, we have missions. We have the California missions. There's 21 of them. They were built by the Spaniards hundreds of years ago. And uh, about a month ago, we went we were we were going to the beach in Carmel, and, thro- and my, my and my wife said, "Oh, there's a mission in Carmel." And my daughter said, "Oh, yeah, we're actually le- learning about them in fourth grade." And I I didn't do very well on the test. And we're like, oh, that's, that's interesting. I'm like, well, what do you know about the California missions? And she started rattling off literally a 30 to 45 minute dialogue about the missions. And I I turned back in the car and I said, Greta, you could be a tour guide at the missions. So I think that's a really great example of she didn't do well on the test, but she can verbally articulate so many facts and ideas and resources and learning in a different way that our assessments don't don't capture and i think that's just one example of some kids just don't do well on the test some kids are, are you know testing is just lot on so many levels and the time that we take to do with the tests and um, obviously like we could go on and on and on and I think that brings up something too that you and I have talked about Rachel is learning loss we've heard this so much in our districts or in social media people talking about them what are we going to do about all this learning loss and I just questioned has there how much learning loss has there been yes there has been some and every family is a little bit different and in a different situation but Teachers are teaching. Teachers are teaching really well. And we're seeing growth and reading scores and comprehension and math and so many different areas. I just scratch my head with, with all of it. I mean, I, I really, I just scratch my head with all of it. And what is the point? Is it to sell assessments so testing companies can have revenue? Yes, testing and assessment is important, but I think how we are doing it on a broad scale needs to change.
1: No, completely, completely agree. Um, You know, it's funny when you were talking about testing and your daughter, um, it brought back memories I hadn't thought of for a really long time. I had a lot of test anxiety uh, throughout K 12. It wasn't until college and you were really on the line uh, (laughs) that I finally figured out how to get over that. And, you know, later in this episode, you're going to share, I'm sure, about your SAT experience. And I was in that same boat. I actually they had a score that was just barely enough to get me into the college that I wanted. And then when I was telling one of my teachers about it, her response was literally like, Oh, you're going to take it again. Right. That's all you got. And like, needless to say, it shocked me, but my response was, why am I going to pay a bunch of extra money to go take it again? And it gets me into where I want to go. So no, it, it doesn't matter. And I think then we look at the impacts that it really does have when you're an adult. And I, I, I think to you and I, and we're both incredibly motivated people that have done some amazing, amazing things in our life and will continue to do so. And if we would have attached our test score to us and put us in a box all based off of just that single score or what we've done with a couple different big high stakes tests, man, maybe we shouldn't have accomplished all that we have, right? Like if we would have listened to those folks, so it just really gives me pause. It gives me pause of how we view kids and you know, trying to look at them past that number and looking at them in like a whole child aspect. Just some things that I'm thinking about right now.
0: Yeah, you know, and I like you said, I know we're we're gonna get into it later um, in the episode with our with our guest. I just feel how do we move past this? Because We can talk about it. We're not the only ones talking about it. Many, many educators and parents and parents are opting, opting their kids out. Some districts, they have a huge opt-out rate. Like, how do we move past this? What is what is a is a what is a solution? And I, I feel like, you know, somebody needs to be, we as educators, we as parents, we as adults, we need to be drastic with this because as long as it keeps happening and we keep doing it and saying, okay, we'll do it, whatever, we'll get it through, we tell the kids, just do your best, and some, you know, there's a lot of pressure in a lot of places for assessment, because it it depends on your school grade, and if the principal keeps their job, and, uh, and, and like, I mean, we could go on and on and on and on, and, and we're trying to go on and, on and on and on, and just how do we minimize the impact, like you said, on the time, and the students, and the teachers, and and the families, it's uh, it's one of those issues in education that I feel, you know, hopefully, um, our new administration, even though they've made this announcement, with doc- Dr. Jill Biden being the being the first lady and also being an educator, hopefully we can make some growth and some progress. And um, I kind of feel like the slash and burn technique needs to happen because the growth and the progress is going to be so slow. Like, let's just say, no, boom, done. And I, I know we can't do that. So I don't know if it needs to just be, uh, be a uh, on the ground floor, um, you know, kind of, uh, kind of movement, grassroots, but something needs to be done. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, and okay. I'm going to, I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say something that it might isolate me, but here it goes. They said that we're not going to be penalized or held accountable for the results, right? That was in that statement. And they just want to know, quote, where kids are at and have a starting spot, which I would make the argument that all of our educators already know that. And they can also identify kids that have gone off the radar and might be missing or not as engaged. So what if as a collective whole, you didn't take the test. And here's something to think about. When um, Common Core came out and it all got updated to the Smarter Balance Assessment, there were some districts in Oregon, I can think of one specific high school, that they had a significant number of kids that opted out for a variety of reasons. And it was not just upper white middle-class kids that did this, it was across the board. And you know what, those principals didn't lose their jobs. Those kids still graduated, life still went on. It went on. It didn't stop. If you would ask me a couple of years ago, and actually, I think someone did when this was going on, and I was like, oh, no way, they're doing what? I can't believe they're doing that. They're going to get in so much trouble. And you know what? They didn't. So, what if as a nation, we took this approach to really grab the attention? Of the leaders that are making these choices, and we demand a meeting where we can sit down and re-image this because it needs to be re. I know that's out there. That's out there. <laughs> what do you think, Adam? Yeah, we no. all opt out.
0: I, hey, I'm I'm with it. I'm, I'm like, hey, I'll sign that. I'll uh I'll stand up. Obviously, I can speak for. You know myself and my wife and, and our family can't can't speak for for my district because, uh, you know, I have a job. We we both do, but I do I do think it's uh, yeah. I mean, yes. I I don't really have much else to add to that. You know, I just reiterate, yes, yes, yes. Because, until somebody or some people do something drastic, nothing. I mean, nothing's gonna change, and it and it just it just needs to change because. I just, you know, like I said before, just scratch my head and wonder why, um, why are we doing this? What's the point? And, you know, I can tell you how kids are doing right now. Kids are doing the best that they can do. And parents are doing the best that they can do. And teachers are doing the best that they can do. And, you know, where I live, they've started hybrid instruction and um, my kids, uh, have not gone back in person. We're staying, we're staying virtual for the rest of the year, which is what we decided months and months and months ago. And they're ending a little bit earlier some days. And you know what they're doing? My kids are going in the backyard and they're playing or they're doing some art. We save cardboard and my kids were painting with tempura paint in, uh, in the backyard. And, I would rather have them do that, get outside, get some sunshine, uh, run around, burn some calories, You know, get their energy out, do some art, than be practicing, prepping, or taking a state assessment. That is where we are, and I think that is what is important.
1: And I think that's perfect. And you know, Adam, that is a great segue into our guest who's going to talk about this more. So are you ready to dive into that?
0: Let's do it. Welcome guest.
1: All right, Adam, you would not believe who we have with us today to talk about state testing. It is literally the one and the only Bethany Hill. I feel like we need a huge drum roll. So welcome Bethany to our show.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me on.
0: Super excited uh, to have you on, Bethany. For the people out there that don't know who you are, maybe like the two or three people that don't know who Bethany from (laughs) Arkansas is, just kind of give us a rundown of who you are and uh, just some background and what you do.
2: All right. Um, Well, I, um, of course, I'm from Arkansas and born and uh, raised here. I was born in Florida, actually, and lived there for about two months and then came to Arkansas. So I call myself an Arkansan for sure. Um, I have been an educator for 22 years and have done lots of things all in that time. Taught kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade. I've been a curriculum coach, um, assistant principal, principal um, and so uh, now I've, I've, I've ventured out a little bit into other things, you know, just some um, consulting and speaking and things like that. But um, I'm still serving in a building now. And I, and I, I can't imagine not doing that um, for a while. So um, I kind of have my, um, my feet in both uh, pools right now, doing a little bit of, um, of everything <laughs> at this moment. But um, I serve in a, a P4 elementary building right now
0: and loving it that's awesome you know i've we've been connected for a long time on twitter uh, bethany mm-hmm. and i didn't know so arkansas arkansas i i'm like totally butchering like you know i'm a californian rachel's an oregonian what is uh-huh. somebody from arkansas I, I i didn't know i didn't know that we
2: are arkansans, arkansans. And here in arkansas
0: yeah rachel I did love- you know that rachel i didn't know that
2: no, that is cracking me up. That is so unique. <laughs> I don't even know if I could pronounce
0: that. <laughs> wow. No, it's, like, it's like Michigan. They're Michiganders, which yes. uh, is like super, uh, super unique. So, so today we're talking about assessment and we're talking about testing. And um, there's, you know, like, I don't know if we call it a hot button issue, but um, I think, uh, you know, it's something that leaders always talk about because it's like the state test and it's the assessment and every state is a little bit different like some states it's like they're graded like their schools can be closed down principals can lose their jobs I mean there's every state is a little bit different but this year is is somewhat unique because of COVID-19 last year they waived uh, the federal this you know the, the assessment the state testing and all that which was uh, super warranted, but this year the uh, the new administration, the Biden administration, has said that they will be giving the test to to students this year, and it's it's unique because some states have been in person all year long, other states have not. Like in California, in Oregon, where where uh, Rachel and I live, it's it's been a mix, kind of depending on where you live in the state. So. What are your, what are your thoughts? I mean, like we're going to start, I think at 30,000 feet and then kind of make our way down. Just what are your okay. thoughts on, on all of that? Just, just give it to us, Bethany.
2: Oh my goodness. Um, you know, it's something that literally keeps me up at night at times because um, you know, as, as a um, an educator who has been in school since August and um, you know, here in Arkansas, we um, we opened and we we started a little later than we normally do, but um, we have not had to close down as a as a state or as a even as a district um, at all. So um, we've had to close maybe a classroom here or there, or maybe one building for a long weekend to deep clean things like that. Um, and so I, I absolutely cannot imagine kids who haven't been in the, you know, in the school building since last March. I mean, that just blows my mind. And I know that it's different, you know, uh, different situations all over the country. And some aren't, you know, prepared for all the safety protocols and things like that. Um, My state's done a a really great job though at keeping kids on campuses and providing hybrid opportunities and digital opportunities for those, kids that, you know, it in families that it doesn't work for, you know, um, if they have immunocompromised people in their families and things like that, but I still see, you know, when thinking about them taking this big assessment in the spring, we've had kids that have missed so much school because of quarant- having to be quarantined for close contact. Um, we have a lot We have a population of our students who are digital, who've, who've, who've not been on campus. And um, you know the thought of them having to take an assessment that doesn't, doesn't uh, mirror anything that we do on a daily basis in the classroom as far as the rigidity of it is just so alarming to me because um, we already know the level of bias and inequity that exists within the testing situation anyway and then when we add um, you know a pandemic situation into that it just um, it almost makes me just like nauseous (laughs) to my stomach to think about um, forcing kids into this box of an assessment and and wasting that you know that precious instructional time that we need so much right now Um, In order to, you know, to continue connecting with kids and pulling them back to us, you know, um, to where they're safe at school and able to learn. And, um, you know, I think more now than ever, we look at those assessments and the alignment of um, life skills and the ability um, and the predictors to be successful and, you know, That's the big picture to me. Are these tests going to be an indicator of how successful a child can be? And the answer is just a no. I mean, it's, it's just a big no. Um, and, and you know, a lot of colleges, higher ed starting to catch on They're waiving SATs and, and ACT scores and, you know, focusing on other things. Um, and so, you know, I, I think it's just really time to take a huge step back and look at how we are assessing kids and what type of data will truly provide educators, schools, districts, the information um, that we need to support The individual student um, and and to help them move forward in whatever is going to make a happy life for them, which may be college, maybe military, it may be entrepreneurship, it may be technical career vocational type things so um, you know those those assessments don't necessarily predict success in in the majority of our students.
1: Boy, while you were talking, Bethany, I was shaking my head and like clapping. Um, <laughs> fantastic, fantastic job. You know, it's interesting we're hearing that um, and we we know to be true that students have been severely traumatized by the last year and a pandemic and many and quite in fact, like many, let's be honest, many adults have been. Um, yeah, absolutely. And so when you factor in state testing is also a huge deal and we're bringing some kids in back onto campus for the first time ever, right. which might be traumatizing in and of itself. How can we minimize those two pieces and really set students up for success? What are your thoughts?
2: Um, you know, I, I, I really truly um, believe that we, we have to get away uh, from the conformity that our, our schools Expect or and necessarily, it's not necessarily even schools and districts, but even at the federal level and our just our country as a whole, we really expect most kids to conform to what we have created as as public school. And you know, looking at students um, with differences, you know, which really, when you come down to it, it's every student because we don't have one single student that. Is, you know, is the same as another one. And so um, we have our students who receive special services, our, our students who um, are labeled as gifted. Um, we have students who um, you know, are considered average students, which I hate that word because I don't equate anyone to being an average person. <laughs> you know? And so I think that whole terminology, we just have to kind of take a step back and look at, do we need data? Yes. We, we have to have some data on our students, but it, how we use that data is, is what we need to think about. And the competition that lies within standardized testing, um, who gets the reward money, who has an A on their, their school report card, um, the rich get richer. You know, It's that Matthew effect in our, in, our, in our society as a whole that spills over into education and it's just not effective. We're losing kids in the process. And, um, you know, we're losing sight of the individual human um, within all of our classrooms. And so uh, using that assessment data that can be directly turned around as feedback and planning for that teacher to get that student to the next step. Um, or, you know, to, to, to continue that trajectory toward um, their path of proficiency through school, what they need to know to be able to have a happy life is, to me, something that we have to make that shift um, for. And, um, you know, things like graduation profiles and looking at kids early on um, to determine, what they love, what's their passion, what do they want to do um, when they finish school, why, why do they want to learn certain things, and um, and how do the things that we feel are important connect to what they want and need to do with their with their lives later on. Um, that's the way to personalize the, the learning experience, I think, and um, when we standardize data, it's really difficult to use that data for something as big as the picture that we need to be focusing on.
0: You know, another thing, Bethany, that I think about is all the time it takes. So back in the day, when I was an assistant principal, we had the paper tests and Mm -hmm. I had to, we had 1100 students in my school, K-5, and I had to organize all the paper tests and make sure they were there with the booklets and the scantrons and the pencils and the erasers and the scratch paper. (laughs) And that's all I did for like three weeks. And then we shifted to digital assessments and it was making sure that the, all the, all the, all the um, computers were updated and they had the right. secure software and, and all of this and all of that. And I think about back young Adam taking the standardized tests when I was a kid, I did, I did very, very marginal. Like I was barely like barely doing well on the test. And then I had to take the SATs in high school and I had like eight, 50 or 800 on the SATs. And then I went to like my credential programs and I barely passed those standardized tests to get my credential. It is not an indicator of what kind of educator or what kind of learner you are. So with that being said, how how do we, you know, how do we get rid of it? And, and I don't even think like, how do we change it? Because the, the change can be so so slow it's it's like seeing a mountain grow over your lifetime you're you're not going to see the growth you're not going to see the change and I, I feel like we just need to get like you said assessment is important data is important but the time that we're taking to count tests and do all these things and yada yada like that can be so much better spent doing other things maybe like building relationships with kids maybe like designing curriculum maybe like introducing STEAM concepts and everything else. So how do we as states, and how do we as a nation move past this? I think this is a pivotal time. And it's unfortunate that the directive has gone out this year and who knows what is going to happen. I mean, some things may still happen. I think some states have control over some things. I, I, You know, Mm -hmm. things are still developing, but how do we move past it? Because we are spending and we have spent so much time And I don't think it's worth the investment of that time for what we're doing with the data and what we're putting kids and teachers and leaders through.
2: Oh, for sure. And the monetary aspect of testing too. You know, how much money are we throwing away by, you know, giving it all to these testing companies, um, you know, where we could use that funding for so many different things for students. That part's frustrating to me too. Um, But I wish I had like that, answer, you know, like, this is what we need to do today (laughs) to make this happen. But I do think that we need to get loud, you know, and in a, and in a, you know, of course, in a professional way, but um, it's, it's very, um, you know, it's very disheartening to see that, um, you know, sometimes educators um, feel like they can't speak up and that they don't have a voice. And so I, I think especially up to administrators and district leaders to empower teachers that are in you know those classrooms on a daily basis and see the 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 damage that standardized testing can really do um, to a school's culture, to um, the instructional setting, um, and then all of the time it takes to disaggregate the data that we are forced to do and, um, you know, test prep and technology and all of those things that we have to, you know, put our focus on, um, and that causes us to take our focus off of the real work and, um, and education is hard work. And, and so I feel like there's so many people that are pushing these decisions that, that don't even understand the purpose of education. It needs to be redefined. You know, it's not, it can't be measured in a standardized way. And so my hope is that, you know, with a, with an educator in the first lady um, position in our country, um, I really hope that she can become a big voice for us, but I also hope that she can empower educators to, you know, to use their voices to advocate too. Um, Because, you know, as educators, we're always, we're always advocating for our students, but um, a lot of times it's for things that affect them directly and locally um, not things that may affect them 10 years down the road um, when they're trying to get into college and their ACT score can't be high enough to get a scholarship that they need or to get into the program that they want to be in and um, and so you know I, I even think uplifting the student voice is is powerful too because you um, you know, having these conversations with students on how they feel on the, on the test taking side of this um, to me is really powerful and um, students discussing the barriers that it provides rather than the opportunities could, could be powerful as well. Um, I don't think we get enough input from our students uh, on things like this. So, um, you know, and that's kind of up to the educators to provide that outlet for students to be able to express that and, and know how they can advocate for themselves as well as for education as a whole.
1: You know, student voice is so powerful and I think getting their input on what we do is imperative. And it brings to mind a comment that Arnie Duncan made a couple of weeks back during a webinar, where he referred to our students as the lost generation. And it really did make me feel super good. And I'm, I'm sure you might be along the same lines with that. You know, it really made me start to think about how we describe our students, our expectations, and their voice. And the targets that we create with them, and notice I said with them, right? So it's collaborative. Mm-hmm. So what are your thoughts on that? Um, and then also looking forward, what are some collaborative expectations, targets, high expectations, do you see fitting for students?
2: You know, I um, have, have um, read a little bit on graduation profiles and I think that's something that could really transform education. Um, To start out with students who are in kindergarten And have those conversations of what makes a happy life for you? What do you see in your future? What do you want to do? Um, Not necessarily what do you want to be when you grow up, but what what do you want to do in the world when you are an adult and have so many more choices than you do right now as a five-year-old? And then continue that conversation and let the child evolve into passions and and talents, but then match the learning to that or the basics that we know that kids have to have those, those, those really important skills that we know kids need to know and be able to do um, through their whole path of education from kindergarten all the way through um, 12th grade. How do those relate to what I want to do um, when, as I get older and when I'm an adult and how I want to contribute to the world? If, if that can be um, a profile that's set up when kids enter school, then you know having those conversations with their counselors and their teachers all the way through um, can help them see their future story and align the learning to where it's so personal to them that there's motivation and um, you know that that perseverance to get to the next level for themselves and I know that's a huge concept and very overwhelming and to, to know just where to start with that is, is difficult um, because it would have to be a huge vision for an entire district or an entire state <laughs> or the country. But I, I feel like that's where we need to be headed because we know now school can take place in other, in other learning environments, not just on campus. Um, we know that maybe five days of instruction from eight to three doesn't always have to happen. It can look different, you know? So the the things that the pandemic has taught us um, could actually help learning be way more flexible than it's ever been before. It's just that we have to make sure we do not go back to the way things were pre-pandemic, taking those things and using what we've learned to push forward and to get more personalized in education, because every kid is not on a pathway to, um, you know, to get a scholarship for their ACT or their SATs to go to a college. And we have to get away from that mindset and listen to our students, provide them with the voice and the power to say, this is how I want to affect the world around me. And how i want to contribute
0: yeah i love what you said about um going back uh, you know to pre-pandemic todd whitaker said i don't know a month or a month and a half ago we can't go back normal we have to go back better and i would just layer on we have to go back more innovative leaner smarter um, just more efficient and just you know better in so many different ways you know, Bethany, I got. To, I, just, I have to say, thank you for coming on. When Rachel and I were texting back and forth about this and who we wanted to have on, she's like, "Have a Bethany Hill," and I was like, "Yes." And she said, "Hey, uh, I'll just send her a message. Do you ever, do you ever number?" I always just DM her on Twitter, and I was like, "Oh, like I got her cell phone number." So you know, we connected, <laughs> and I just bring that up because you know, you've some, you, you're somebody that I've never met in person, but you always put yourself out there. You and I have been connected and have spoken and done. I mean, just you know, just been connected for years and years and years. And I think that's the other plug to everybody listening is you got to get connected and you got to put yourself out there and you got to reach out to people because Bethany Hill is an educator, just like Adam, welcome and Rachel George and everybody else. And we all are better together and we, um, our voices are better together and they are more united. And hopefully we can all move forward from this state testing conversation and hopefully some hopefully someday it's going to be something that we talk about as past tense like oh my gosh remember when we used to do all those state testings and then we had to, do, had to count the booklets and the pencils and the secure browsers and so uh bethany on behalf of myself and nasp thank you for coming on the podcast to talk about this very important topic thank you
2: so much i enjoyed it <laughs>
0: The NAESP Principal Podcast is sponsored by the National Association of Elementary School Principals, supporting our nation's leaders from preschool through eighth grade. Andy Jacks here, Senior Fellow for NAESP Centers for Advancing Leadership. Whether you are looking to develop your professional learning network, extra liability coverage at a fraction of the cost, or you want to level up your professional development, NAESP has you covered.